Hey, good morning. Good morning. It is Tuesday, September 6th, and uh, wind, wine, and what happens next. Today we're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 2, what happened on the day of Pentecost. A lot of people focus on different things in Acts chapter 2. Some talk about this is the proof that Everyone who becomes a believer can speak in tongues. Some talk about this is the proof that baptism is the way you get saved. But is that really what this writing by Luke is trying to show us in Acts chapter 2? Well, that's what we're going to wrestle with this morning. So let's get started. Good morning and welcome to Bible Study Live with Matt. I'm Matt and today we're going to study the Bible together. Um, so as always, just a reminder, the whole idea behind uh, Bible Study Live is to for me to wrestle with the scriptures out loud so that you could wrestle with it with me. It's all about creating a conversation without condemnation. Uh, I'm not always going to get it right. Uh, we're not always going to agree. But what we're not going to do is argue about it. What we are going to do is uh, dig into the scriptures, look at some cool stuff, and uh, see if we can just get some some perspective on what God is trying to show us in the scripture. So it's interesting. Um, I, I have a lot of friends from a lot of different belief systems. Many uh, Christ-following friends. Uh, and I've got friends who um, belong to different denominations. I've got friends who... Uh, just like me, we, we say we subscribe to the same, you know, same beliefs, same Christian tradition, but, um, but we, we disagree on some things on, uh, on how to live some of this stuff out. Um, so, you know, one of the cool things about being a follower of Jesus is that, uh, and we don't always, we just don't always get it right. We don't always know, right? Like there are things that are pretty obvious and straightforward, and there are some things that, Jesus wants us to go searching for that deeper meaning, right? But today what we're going to look at is, is a little moment, not a little, a very profound moment in the life of some of Jesus' followers uh, on what is referred to as the day of Pentecost, right? Uh, it's Acts chapter 2. So we're going to read through Acts chapter 2 this morning. It's, it's not very long. Uh, and then we're going to just break down some of the stuff. But, um, but I think there's a very distinct thing that I feel like God has shown me in Acts chapter 2 today, and uh, we'll see what God's showing you. Uh, today, let's see, normally I read from the message or something else. Let's grab the uh, let's grab the New Living Translation today. I like to switch it up um, because I know not everybody reads from the same uh, translations, so I like to switch it up a little bit uh, every, you know, every couple of um, episodes. That way, you know, maybe we'll jump in and use your version of the Bible one of these days. So whatever you're reading from, New Living Translation, uh, NIV, The Message, uh, ESV, New King James, New American Standard, Amplified, all of them good translations. Uh, as long as, you know, you're not using the uh, Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, the New World Translation, that squirrels some things up and so does the uh, Muslim Bible. So, or excuse me, the um, Mormon Bible. Yeah, the Muslims whole different story so anyway as long as you're you know reading one that says you know god jesus that's it uh you're you're probably on the right track so let's uh dive into acts chapter two and uh let's talk about uh wind wine and uh what happens next all right <clears throat> acts chapter two on the day of pentecost look at we're just going to click this footnote right here to start it festival of pentecost came 50 days after Passover. So this is roughly just about two months after Jesus was crucified. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Look out also or in other tongues. Pause right here. We're just going to pause right here on this for a moment. I have heard people talk about how this shows. Look, when someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, then they speak in tongues. Well, we're going to pause right there. It says in other tongues, which was the common phraseology for other languages. This doesn't say 
fire came down upon them and then they went it doesn't it doesn't say that now listen there's no way to prove or disprove uh, you know when people talk about praying in tongues of angels and things you know it's incoherent whatever noise make it there's no way to disprove it look the way i look at it is like this some people they like to hum when they're praying right some people maybe they're humming like a gospel tune or something when they're praying because it just helps them connect with god better uh some people make weird groans and and, and murmuring you know whatever helps you connect with god god bless you um i do feel however that if uh if if it that Paul does a really good job of uh, in, in the book of Corinthians and calling out this whole people overtly, you know, using their spiritual gifts to, to try and get attention. So Paul talks about that in Corinthians. So what is happening in Acts chapter two that we just we just only read the first paragraph, but this isn't about tongues and the Holy Spirit. This is we're getting an account of what took place step by step with these folks. Okay, so on the day of Pentecost. All believers were meeting together in one place. There was a suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Right. So we had a little picture here there's diversity people coming from all over right uh and they were living in jerusalem when they heard the loud noise everyone came running they were bewildered to hear look at this their own languages being spoken by the believers now today's episode is not about speaking in tongues but i, I just want to point out like this is why when people talk about well you get filled with the holy spirit you start speaking in tongues and then they start you know um, making incoherent noises this is where I, I struggle with that theology because I, I look at this and I go, it flat out says they began to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers, meaning by people that they did not expect could speak their language. I'm going to pause on this before I move on to the next thing because I had, heard, had a story told to me uh, by Jeff Mannion at Ada Bible Church many, many, many years ago. Uh, I want to say this is probably around 2007 or, yeah, 2007, six heck maybe even a little before that um where he was telling me where he was hiking with a guy i want to say it was in south america they were just talking talking about like all the beauty of what god's created yada 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 they're sitting up on the top of this mountain and they're talking about it and uh uh jeff says to the 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 guy that uh was on the hike with him he said man it's so so great to meet somebody you know here who speaks good english and the guy looked at him bewildered and was like i don't i don't speak english i, I thought it was great to meet an american who spoke whatever was portuguese or whatever language he spoke and in that moment like here are two guys who do not speak the same language right one speaks english and that's it one speaks whatever it was portuguese or whatever that's it and they've been having this conversation about god's magnificence right like jeff's telling his pastor all this stuff all day and neither truly spoke each other's language, but they could hear it in their own language clearly. That seems to be the picture that is painted in Acts chapter 2 when we read about this, and it says they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. <laughs> uh, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Holy Spirit could change the sound right in the middle of the air, y'all. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other, but others in the crowd ridiculed them and said, oh, they're just drunk, that's all. Can we pause on this? There are a couple of things that stand out to me that are so awesome in this that I just want to point out to you. When it says, how can this be? And they start listing all the places these people are from. There's an, a th another thing that just jumped out at me uh, in verse 11, when it talks about visitors from Rome, and then it says both Jews and converts to Judaism. Uh, 
I want to point out something here. Notice it didn't say converts to Christianity. Well, now these people were about to, to you know, become followers of Jesus. But I'm going to point out, like, Jesus didn't come to create a new religion. He didn't come and say, um, hey, the Jewish faith is, is wrong. Now, why wouldn't Jesus say that? Well, probably because Jesus was a good Jewish man. <laughs> like, he was Jewish, right? So Jesus didn't come to, to, to start another religion. He came to, to show people, God's people, the Hebrew people, and then also the Gentiles too, the non-Jewish people, that there's only one way to God, period. I mean, we, we attach a label, Judaism. Because it, it's the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, right? That were God's chosen people. But it's not about a religion. It's about God, Jesus, being the way to God, right? There is God. There's Jesus who is the way. Um, and then there's the Holy Spirit as well, right? But so Christianity came from people calling his followers Christians, right? But Jesus didn't come to start Christianity. So I, I love this because it talks about the Romans who converted to Judaism, meaning they converted to following Yahweh, the Jewish God, right? The God of the Hebrews. So that's important here uh, to understand that they're, they're, Jesus didn't, you know, say like, hey, become a Christian. Like, that wasn't a word. <laughs> it wasn't something. But anyways, I, I love that because it points out, like, here are these people from Rome that had also said, ooh, I'm a follower of this Yahweh God now. But what's also awesome is, they're hearing all this, this uh, they hear this loud noise, all of a sudden foreign people speaking their language, and then they have Rosetta Stone. And what was their response? People were like, this is, whoa, this is crazy. We're hearing them talk about the wonderful things God has done in our own language. What can this mean? Right? So there's some people going, this is, got, there's got to be something profound here that we're supposed to learn. And what's the response from others? Uh they're just drunk. They're just drunk. That's all. Right? So some people, their skepticism got the best of them, right? But now Peter steps up. Verse 14. Then Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Can we just pause right there? I love that Peter's like, he didn't say they aren't drunk because they're good Christians. He didn't say they're not drunk because they're good Jewish men and women. What he said is it's 9 a.m. It's too early to get drunk. I just, it's kind of humorous to me that he says it that way, but let's keep going. He says, now what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. Men and women, y'all, for those of you who think women can't, you're wrong. God made man and woman in his image. And I will cause, verse 19, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. And before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's look at this footnote. That is from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. But everyone, notice this, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For those of you that are like, you know, you can't just, people can't just expect that God's going to gonna accept them because they cry out to them, you know, when they're dying. Oh, they, they you know, there's no time for them to have life change and, and faith without works is dead. I've literally heard people talk about in the book of James how it talks about faith without works is dead, right? And I've heard people literally say, you know, Oh, so-and-so, they're going to be crying out to God on their last breath, but he's not going to listen to them because they didn't, you know, they had an opportunity now and they didn't. So they didn't go live a changed life. Well, it's interesting because that's not what the scriptures say, right? In Joel, this prophecy happened and says, but everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I am not, let me just be clear before moving to the next part. I'm not advocating for, you know, eat, drink, and be merry and, and wait to the last minute to call out to God. I feel like we're, we're, and I, this is just my feeling, right? Is that I'm going to be held accountable for what I know, 
right? And I know that following Jesus is the only way to God. So for me to go out and live differently and think like, eh, it's fine to go on sinning. Like Paul even talks about it. Hey, God's grace isn't a license to live in sin and perpetually choose to live this way. His grace and mercy cover us from what sins are in our past and the ones that we're going to make in the future. But our future sins should be mistakes, slips, falls, not a lifestyle choice. Uh, it shouldn't be something we live out intentionally, sinfully, and then like justifying, like, well, but God's grace covers me. It just kind of seems like a slap in the face to God, right? When you know what Jesus did for us, when we know, when we know that Jesus took took it all for us, and then we go and you know live the way we want, going, well, I mean, He already died, so I'm covered. Like that's a what a slap in the face, right? So I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying this does say all. You know, when that day comes, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say who call within the right time or whatever. So it's important to just acknowledge what the words say, uh, even if they make us uncomfortable, right? Uh, Okay, so people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know, But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Can I just talk about how much I love that Peter, he didn't just say the Gentiles did this. He didn't do what was commonly done. He didn't blame everything on the Romans. He said, you nailed him to the cross with the help of the lawless Gentiles. Lawless meaning those who weren't, you know, weren't under the law, didn't have Torah, weren't Yahweh followers, God followers. He's saying, with the help of these people who don't know our God, you, you, basically you who do claim to know God, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Then he quotes David here. King David said about him, him being Jesus, I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. By the way, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, Greek version, says, Dear brothers, think about this. This is Peter you know, going back to himself, not quoting someone. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord. So all capitals means God, Yahweh God, right? And he says, the Lord said to my Lord, i.e. Jesus, sit in the right Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. That is Psalm 110, verse 1. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, this is awesome. Verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Can we pause right there? Have you ever heard someone speaking about God, maybe in a way that was different than you'd heard before, but you felt like it pierced your heart? I know the other night, uh, and I did a Bible study live on this yesterday, um, but there was something that that, um, our campus pastor Christian pointed out just from a different translation, just that pierced my heart in a way that opened me up to a new new understanding, a new perspective on reading a piece of scripture. And what I love is like we there are people who and they they'll hear God's word, 
sometimes it happens to us. There are times where I've heard God's word. And it, I knew what was being said was like a better way than I was living. But it didn't, it didn't pierce my heart. Or maybe it did pierce my heart because I felt like I'm supposed to do something about this. Yeah, that's probably a better thing. Like I've heard stuff, right? I've heard someone maybe sharing God's word and I'm like, oh man, I, man, this is, this is touching me in a way that I should, I know there's something, there's something I'm supposed to do. There's a way I'm, I'm supposed to respond, but then I've walked away and done nothing. I don't know if you've ever done that before, or experienced that before, but what I love is this because as as Luke is writing this, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? So when their hearts were pierced, they said, Here I am, God, send me. Right? Like they were they were like, What should we do? They when their hearts were pierced, they responded, going, Tell me how to live this out. Ah, I love that so much. Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. It says those who believe Peter, what Peter said, were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. I'm going to touch on a couple things here uh, because I think they are super, super important. Number one, <clears throat> when, when Peter's words peer, pierced their heart, their response was one of going, what do we do? All right, so they had already made the choice to like, okay, I believe. What do I do now? I believe what you're saying is true. What do I do now? So when they heard the word of God, they wanted to take action, not sit silent. Now, here's what's great. What was Peter's response? It was simple. Each of you must repent of your sin, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Some people will say, this is proof that if you do not repent and be baptized, you won't be forgiven. Well, the only challenge with that is that on the cross, the thief next to Jesus said, when you get, when you get to where you're going, remember me. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, you'll be there with me. So that man may have repented. He didn't say the words out loud, though. He didn't, uh, you know, confess with his lips and believe in his heart in a way of going, you know, God, forgive me for my sins. Uh, you know, I know you sent Jesus to die for me. Th that didn't happen. That's not what was, that's not what was said. So, uh, I, I feel like when I wrestle with the scripture, what I'm learning from this is that perhaps, um, what, what Peter was saying was, this is what you do in response to making that decision, right? So like some people will argue over what baptism means. Uh, it seems to me, based on the scriptures, that um, it seems to be an outward expression of what has already changed on your inside. Meaning, uh, it's something that we publicly do to profess, hey, I'm, I'm on team Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've given my life to Jesus. Now, walk alongside me, hold me accountable. You know, I've made this public profession, help me stay accountable to that life. You know, I'm, we're all family right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into the family, right? So, you know, when Peter says you must repent and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, there wasn't punctuation and stuff in the, in the way that this would be written, right? So we don't know where the commas go. The translators are doing their best. It seems to me like, uh, if there was another place a comma could go, it would be after, and get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, comma, for the forgiveness of your sins. Is the four meaning so that you will be forgiven? Well, no, because then that would mean us doing something to get forgiven, right? We'd be putting in work to get our forgiveness. Or did it mean for, like, as a result of the forgiveness of your sins? We could debate it all day, but it seems to me what Peter says when they said, what do we do? He says, hey, now that you realize this is true, in response to that, repent. Repent of your sin. God, you saved me. 
I am so sorry for the life that I've lived apart from you. I'm so, uh, forgive me for that, God. I recognize you sent Jesus for me. I recognize you saved me when I couldn't save myself. I recognize that your way is the right way. I recognize that Jesus is my Savior. And I'm doing this in response to that, right? Like, that's what it seems like to me. And Peter says, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, obviously, if we if we are not followers of Jesus, we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit living within us, right? Why would God send a spirit to live in someone who isn't living his way, right? So that part makes sense. Uh, but I love that Peter says this, is, this promise is to you, your children, and those far away. Meaning, uh, there's di different translations say, or... Um, for this promise is to you, your children, and to those people far in the future. And there's another another translation that says this promise is to you, your children, and to the Gentiles. So it seems as though what Luke's writing here is like, look, this is a promise for everyone. Repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on that cross. Now, the other thing I like is this in verse 40. It says, then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, he didn't say save yourselves from God. This is important. This, this, this to me is a very important distinction because we always talk about, you know, repent and be baptized so you don't go to hell. Well, who sends you to hell? God and the judgment. So if, if, the, if the baptism and the repentance were to be saved from hell, it would be to save ourselves from God and his wrath. But that's not what Peter says. Peter says, do all of this to save yourself from this crooked generation. Well, how would it save us from that? How would it save those people from that crooked generation? Well, it says it's a promise for the age to come. So this could apply, should apply to us too. So how would we save ourselves from this crooked generation? By repenting and being baptized. Because now our life changes to one that's following Jesus. See, when we live in the world's way, we make choices in a worldly way, those come with consequences here on earth too. And we've got consequences from a, a world that is broken, right? We see this every day. And so it seems that what Peter's saying when he says, look, do this and save yourselves from this crooked generation, he wasn't saying repent and be baptized so you can be saved from the wrath of God. God who loves you, God your Father, he was saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Change your ways. Get out from under the burden and the chains of sin that are holding you down in this world. Get out from under those consequences. Get out from under making the bad decisions of following the God of this world and the idolatry of this world because all of that comes with consequences that you don't want in your life. So save yourself from that. So that is something. See, Jesus stood in the gap and saved us from God's wrath for the punishment we deserve. We could do nothing to save ourselves from what we deserve there, but we can do something to save ourselves from the consequences of this broken and fallen world. And that is to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. That's the save yourselves from this crooked generation. Seems it seems to be pretty straightforward. Now let's continue. <sighs> the what's next. All the believers devoted themselves. So 3,000 were added in total that day to the church. Church being the body of people, not like, oh, Elevation or Hillsong or Life Church or whatever church, Catholic Church. No. And 3,000 people made the decision to walk with Jesus that day, right? Repent and be baptized. What a beautiful moment that probably was. Okay. So all the devoters, uh, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals and including the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread, and to prayer. Look at this. As soon as somebody became a believer, what did they do? They committed themselves to hearing God's word and to what? Fellowship. Sharing life. And what else? Sharing in meals, including what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. Here's why I want to bring this up. And I know so many of my brothers and sisters who are like, oh, I love Jesus, but I, I can't stand being around people. And they they hate sharing life. They don't like getting in small groups and going deeper in conversation. They think, I would rather go to Sunday church and Wednesday church because I'm comfortable. I'm a comfortable Christian doing that, 
Jesus never called you to comfort. And neither did his apostles who were trying to carry on his work. We were never called to be comfortable. You know, people see me like going live and speaking at events and they're like, oh, well, yeah, but you're an extrovert. You're naturally an extrovert, right? That That's your thing. That's not my thing. I'm an introvert. I'm a recluse. I don't like being around people. Can I let you guys in on a little secret that's not secret to people that know me? I'm not an extrovert. I hate it. I don't like, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like doing it. I'm not naturally wired to do it. Correction. I'm not naturally wired to do it. I love the opportunity to speak and teach because I love the opportunity to impact people's lives. I'm trading my discomfort for, for the joy of what it could possibly bring to somebody else. But anyone knew who knew me growing up knew like I would make jokes when I was uncomfortable because I didn't know what to add to the conversation. It wasn't the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. I barely escaped high school when it was really because my principal didn't want another year with me. He literally said that. He was supposed to go to Hope College, and it got pushed back to the following school year. And I was half credit short of graduating high school because I didn't like going to school or doing the work. And he literally called me in his office and said, I found a credit. And his words were this. I loved Mr. Yelting. He said, I found a half credit uh, that you need to graduate that was uh, lost and, and mixed up in your in your stuff. He goes, I'm. Basically, I don't get to go to Hope College until a year from now, and I'm not going to spend another year in this hellhole with you. <laughs> Those were my principal's words. If that gives you any indication of the type of great student, I wasn't. Uh, I, I was always behind the scenes trying to scheme up something, but I was never somebody who liked being in the spotlight. You never saw me in a talent show or doing anything like that or going for a solo and choir and chorale because I didn't like being, I didn't like the spotlight then. I went through a few years where I liked it, or at least I thought that I liked it, but I also spent most of those years drinking heavily. So I don't think I really liked it. I just think I was too drunk to pay attention, if I'm being honest. So I, I'm telling you this because here's the deal. This says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals. We can't say that we are committed followers of Christ if we're not sharing life with each other. We can't. Well, correction, we could say it, but we're lying. <clears throat> I've had some people who I just think are fantastic, by the way. Um, we do Wednesday nights lately at our church because it's weird. When we moved to the South, we expected people to be like, not just Christians, but like on fire. For God, right? Because we lived in Washington and man, our friends, Sean and Jody, we love them. And we haven't seen them and we haven't seen them since the move, honestly, but, but we love them. And, and they're, man, they're, they're just wonderful people. Their daughters are awesome. My favorite kids in Washington, love them to death. And here's the deal. Like every weekend, Sundays, we would get together. We would share a meal together. We would hang out and just share life. And a lot of times we would be wrestling with stuff in the Bible. We would have these deep conversations and just the what ifs and yeah, what abouts. And it was so exciting to me to like, I believe that built our friendship so good uh, because we got around God's word, but not just around God's word, right? Because it doesn't just say they just got together. Like it, it says they fellowship, they shared meals, they hung out, basically. The people who said, we're, we're team Jesus, they hung out together, right? When we get to the South, we expected the same thing. No. So many people here are comfortable Christians. So we're doing this small group stuff at our church. Basically, here's what it looks like. Uh, somebody teaches for no more than 20 minutes. There's like a worship song or two. Somebody teaches for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then we break up into small groups and we talk about the teaching and how it impacts our life, right? Like, hey, what is this thing in the scripture? What does it mean to you? What What's good? What sucks? What What's hard to swallow, right? We, we wrestle with it, right? Which means getting vulnerable. It means getting to know people and letting them get to know us. Not always comfortable. I mean, it's a sad day when, uh, when on Sunday morning, um, one of our, one of our pastors is getting up there going, Hey, you know what? We hear you guys complaining about, Oh, great. Small groups again. I'm like, what, what? That's how comfortably we, how comfortable we are in the South of slapping the label of being a Christian, but ugh, 
getting in fellowship with people and talking about life. Ew. Confessing our sins to one another. Ew. Sharing our struggles so people pray for us. Gross. I don't understand how people can think that way. I do understand the discomfort of going, man, I'm going to, I'm going to step out. But here's the thing. If we're brothers and sisters in, in the faith, if we're in Christ, shouldn't we feel the safest sharing life with each other? Even if we haven't gotten to know each other yet, shouldn't I be able to go, I know that this person is my brother in, in the faith. Shouldn't I know this is my sister in Christ? Shouldn't I, of all places, feel the most comfortable around people who follow the same Jesus that I do? It's interesting that in Luke's account here in the book of Acts, that we see people that as soon as they make a decision for Jesus, they're looking for opportunities to share life together. But they didn't just share life. They leveled up hardcore. And I want to read this last part, and I'll wrap it up. It says, after it says, after, notice the succession of things, the order of things. So, Holy Spirit is in Jesus' followers, the apostles. Peter, Peter teaches. These people go, oh, my heart is pierced. I, I hear God speaking to me. What do I do next? Peter says, repent, be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, right? Boom, do that. They do it. 3,000 people in one day, approximately. And then it says all, not some of, not the ones that are comfortable doing it because they're extroverts. Notice this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. All of them do this, not just the comfortable ones. But then they level up even more. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. Hey, guess what? Now, I know there is no hard and fast rule, but can I just throw out something that this makes me wonder? After they committed themselves, right? It says they devoted themselves. Devoted. Devoted. I'm going to look up devoted on dictionary.com because I think we need to look at what this word really means. So let's look at it. What is devoted? Zealous or ardent in attachment. Loyal or affection. So they weren't just half-heartedly committed to sharing life. They devoted themselves to sharing life together. And what happens? After that, look what happens. They all start to get this deep sense of awe. What is awe? It's like, oh, wow. The wonder of what's going on in our lives, the amazement as a result of what? Well, they're sharing life together. And it says then, in the awe and the wonder of all of this, right, of I'm following Jesus. I'm, why would they be in awe? Maybe because they realize not all people suck, right? Like people are hard to deal with. Well, you know when I read this? Why would they have a deep sense of awe? Because maybe once you get in a community of people who are truly following God and truly after God's heart, we, we get blown away by the fact that, man, people can actually love people like this. That's possible. Mind blown. Okay. Then it says, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Notice the signs and wonders weren't things they were doing beforehand to convince them. They were the result of the life changed. The life that was changed, then they saw these signs and wonders. Then they saw these signs and wonders. Then, so first, belief. Then, obedience. Then they saw these miracles. Maybe that's a lesson for us to learn from. Okay, And then it says this, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Keep going. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped at the temple each day, met in homes. Come on, can I just say this? Met in homes. 
for the Lord's Supper. How many of you just do com communion at church? How many of you break bread in church? That's communion, but you're not sharing life with people. Well, just in case there was confusion of what this is, they were doing it at homes. So they were taking communion in, in each other's houses. And how do we know that? Because more than just the meal, because it says, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Oh, or sincere hearts, great joy and sincere hearts, meaning they weren't begrudgingly gathering. They were doing it because they really wanted to share life with other believers. And while they're doing this, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And what happened as a result? Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Come on. Let me wrap it up with this, okay? What we see here is a story of God doing what God does, working through people, right? God, the God of the universe, creator of the universe, loves us enough that he sent Jesus. After, after Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected, here we see his followers going, well, our job is to do what Jesus told us, to make disciples, devoted students. I love that because Pastor Eddie was talking about this weekend, that a disciple is not just a student, but a devoted student right? Uh, you can't become devoted until you choose to at least start, right? You got to start somewhere. Let me open the door. Let me open the Bible, right? There's your start. Then, then how do you become a devoted student? Well, you got to start by becoming a student in the first place. Once you do that, then you can become a devoted student. So once these people had committed themselves, once, once their heart was pierced, so the progression, hear the word of God, what do I do? Repent and be baptized? Okay. I believe this, so God, I repent. I'm sorry. I get baptized in the name of Jesus, right? Now what do I do? Well, now I share life with other people who are on the same journey. Now we break bread together in homes. Now in homes we take communion together, right? We're sharing life. We're following Jesus. We're breaking bread. We're taking communion so that we remember what he did for us. There's the process. If you want to put a process in place, there's the process. That's what seems to naturally progress. And what happens in the sharing of life? It says a deep sense of awe. And then they saw miraculous signs and wonders at the end. Once they were all in, then they got to see miracles take place. That is amazing. And then it says they all met together, shared what they had. That's countercultural for us in America, right? We want to accumulate, not disperse. We want to we want to accumulate wealth. We want to accumulate stuff. But what they are what what I what I take away from this is when you see a need, and you have the ability to fill a need. We need to try and do that, right? See somebody in need, you got look, look for ways that we can help others, right? <clears throat> so we believe, my wife and I believe that you're supposed to give your firsts, right, to God. Now. Uh, that doesn't just mean to the church, though, right? You, you got people at the church that you know have a need. You got other brothers and sisters in the faith. The, the progression seems to be like this. God has obviously given us our family. We have to steward them, right? So if you're, if you're, um, if God is providing just enough, like God's not going to be mad. If you've got a glad heart, right? Because scriptures also tell us that um, we need to be giving with a glad heart, right? So God's providing for you, but maybe you don't have extra, extra, right? Like maybe you don't. Listen, God knows your heart. God, God knows what you need. But now if you say, well, I don't have extra because you're off blowing money on other stuff, that's a little different story, right? But here's the deal. Um, you know, God doesn't need our money, but God's people need help. And sometimes you may know somebody, a brother or sister in the faith who's financially struggling and you have the means to help out. If you do, help them out, right? If it's a choice like, do I directly help the person that's in need or do I put it in the offering plate and hope the church maybe gets it to them? Well, maybe the church doesn't know that there's that need with your brother and sister. If you know it, bring it. That's an honor to God, right? That's, that's, that's sharing what you have. That's honoring God with what he has given you, with the, the blessing of the financial resources. My wife and I say, you know, one day we hope to get to the place where, where we're financially good enough that if like the church said, hey, you know, this family lost their car and so-and-so and -so can't get to work that we can go, we'll buy them a car. Like that's the place we want to get to. Where if somebody were to lose everything in a house fire that we would be so 
abundantly blessed resource-wise that we can just say, well, you know what, let's rent him a house for a year or let's buy him a house. Like, we would love to have the resources to be that kind of ridiculously generous. What we learn from Luke's account in Acts chapter 2 is that God never meant for us to journey alone. If we are truly following him, then we are doing it in community with one another. And that's going to cause some discomfort. Do you think all these people who became believers that like every moment was a walk in the park? I don't. I feel like they probably hit rough patches, right? Because they all lived, you know, specific ways. I mean, while they might have shared core beliefs, you know, as Jewish people, you know, they just, I mean, they're real people. So they probably had some some roadblocks, some hiccups, some difference in, in belief of, you know, what time should we have supper and what time do you need to get up in the morning and what time does this have to happen? And like, they probably had a lot of different beliefs and they probably rubbed each other the wrong way, but they were more committed to following Jesus than they were to being selfish. I think we could learn a lot from that today, especially in America. But I love the very end all the while praising God, right? So they got together, they shared meals, including the Lord's Supper, and they did it with great joy and sincere hearts, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Praising God in moments that were likely uncomfortable. Praising God in front of other people. Celebrating what God was doing through other people. And what was the result? Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Brothers and sisters, life ain't easy. Walking uh, as a believer doesn't, it doesn't, the world is the one that's supposed to make it hard for us, not other Christ followers, not other Christians. Look, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you just hate getting together in community with other people, can I? Can I challenge you a little? Can I, can I say something that might get, feel a little harsh? But just know, uh, I want to encourage you. I want to lovingly encourage you, but it may, may feel a little heavy to hear. But if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you are not spending any time sharing life with other followers, if we, <clears throat> if we are not sharing life and praising God with other believers, are we really living the life Jesus called us to? And you might say, well, I get breakfast with so-and-so every, every Sunday morning, and he's a believer, so that's sharing life. Well, it is. But if that's the depth of our relationship, it's not conversations about what is God doing in your life right now? How is God blessing you? How is God challenging you to change things? If we're not getting vulnerable, I would challenge you and say, we're not truly living to the fullness of what we're called to. Wherever you're watching from, wherever you go to church or wherever you don't, can I challenge you? Get in a small group. If there's not one to get in, create one. Create one. Find a group of people to share life with. I had a group of dudes, a couple of dudes that like every other Tuesday, we're going to get together. We're just going to hang out. We're going to talk about what God's doing in our lives. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to strengthen each other. We're going to walk through life together. I really feel like uh, men, we're falling apart in the calling that God gave us. We're supposed to step up and be leaders. That doesn't mean step up and be controllers, but we're supposed to step up and lead in how we live, how we love, how we forgive, how we share life. God gave Adam dominion over everything except Eve. Everything. The earth the animals. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Go out and do this. Basically expand the garden, expand the blessing. Men were called to that, but Adam sat silent and ruined the whole dang thing. Just ruined it. So I'm, I believe that men need to step up and be the men that God called us to be. So on a group of dudes, every other Tuesday, we're going to get together and we're just going to grow. We're just going to, we're going to, we're going to share life. If you don't have a group of people to share life with, get them. Go get them and see how your life changes. See how God works in your life. I promise you, I promise you.
promise you, life will be better. We have this wind. We have people that have thought all these people were drunk because they were so excited to hear people sharing God's word in their own language. We have Peter telling them it's way too early in the morning to get drunk as if at like 6 o'clock, then it'd be, that'd be a fair thing to guess, but it's 9 a.m., so they're not drunk yet. I know people who've been drunk at 9 a.m., so Peter, that was great of you to give the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> but also he knew what was happening. We see people that go, these words are piercing my heart. What do I do now? Ask God, what do I need to do now? If you've never been baptized, that is a good next step. Matter of fact, if you're down here in Sparta, Cookville area, on the set, uh, 17th of this month, there is a creek baptism um, that is going on with a group of guys. This is a thing uh, for the men over here. If you're in Cookville or Sparta area or right around here, uh, drop me a message if you want to come. You want to come be baptized in the river? Come and join us. We would love to have you with us. It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, so come and join us. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, feel free to drop me a message if you're in the area, and then I can give you uh, the address, and you can come meet us. We're doing it at 7.30 in the morning, the 17th, early morning. We're just going to pray over you, uh, and, and anybody who wants to be baptized, we're just going to do it right there in the, in the river. So it's going to be an amazing time. Look, no matter where you're at in your journey with God, you're just one moment away from walking a little closer with Jesus. How do we do that? By following what he told us to do. Come up. If you need some prayer, you need some help, feel free to drop me a message. If you need a Bible and you live in the continental United States, uh, let me know. My wife and I will jump on Amazon and send one to you, okay? Um, last but certainly not least, I would love to ask you for your some uh, support with something. Uh, my wife and I, our new book, Call, for this reason, How to Live in Ephesians 5 Marriage, is out, and uh, we would love it if you would check it out and leave us a review on Amazon. If you text the word LOVE to 833-981-0002, you will actually receive a link to your phone that'll take you right to the book on Amazon. And uh, standard messaging and data rate supply. I have to say that. Uh, and frequency varies. I have to say that because those are the legal requirements when you're putting text messaging stuff on the screen. So I have to make sure I say that. But if you're interested and you want to grab a copy of the book, text the word love to 833-981-0002. It'll automatically reply with a link for you to order it on Amazon. Thanks again for tuning in. I love y'all. And uh, go out there and make your day. And hopefully someone else's amazing. Oh, can't make someone else's amazing if you don't share life with them. So do it. Ooh, ah.